this time, we're taking a look at the questionable legacy sequel, The Matrix Resurrections. Along the way, we ask, could Lena Wachowski get more meta? Why couldn't Lawrence Fishburne be in this movie? And what is the future of the franchise? We still know Kung Fu, and this is Force Fed Sci-Fi. Alrighty, folks, welcome back. It is your two favorite hosts of your sci-fi movie review program podcast. My name is Agent Sean Michael Culp, and along with me is my friend and co-host. I am the one, the only, Chris Rupp. Boom shakalaga, I love it. Oh, welcome, welcome back. It's been great to... uh, do this again, as always, my friend. I love it. And what better way to end our Matrix suite with the Matrix Resurrection? Yes, latest entry in the Matrix series, written and directed by Lana Wachowski. Um, as is customary with some of our more recent releases we discuss on the podcast, I think uh, we feel obligated to provide a spoiler warning for those who have not seen this movie yet or want to keep their experience spoiler-free. So if you haven't watched Resurrections, go ahead, pause our episode here, watch Resurrections, and come on back. We will be waiting for you. Absolutely. And uh, please like and subscribe. <laughs> so Matrix Resurrections. Uh, we talked a bit about you know our anticipation for this movie in the last two podcast episodes. Um, like you, lovely said, Lana Wachowski directed this, wrote it, along with uh, two other people, David Mitchell, Alexander Heeman, and we have the cast returning, right? Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss. Yeah, those are the two biggies that are returning here. Uh What's noticeably absent is no Lawrence Fishburne, no other cast members from the past movies, um, with the exception of Jada Pinkett Smith returning as Niobe, which uh, it, they were definitely playing up the old woman makeup there in her scenes. Um, <laughs> a lot of newcomers to the series, but a lot of familiar faces. Um, we got Yaha Abdul Mateen II as excuse me, Morpheus, or I guess like a sort of digital in-matrix version of Morpheus, I, I guess. Is, uh, is <laughs> I don't know. It was really hard to kind of pin down exactly what this version of Morpheus is and how he serves the main cast of characters. Program Morpheus from the uh, video game. So, yeah, is he, is he just like Neo's interpretation of Morpheus, or is this like a re-plugged in... <clears throat> Uh, Matrix Neo's memory of Morpheus that's being it, manipulated by the Matrix. That's a good question. I think it, it that that could be Neo's version of uh, Morpheus or like uh, the role reversal with him, right? Because he ends up being Agent Smith in the video game, The Matrix. Yeah, I mean, it, it, at least in how Neo has designed um like this world or this uh, he's drawing on his past experiences to design uh, this world renowned game that he's beloved for. Yeah. Because, um, well, yeah, it's like the whole concept um, of this resurrections, right. For a little synopsis, I guess is uh, (laughs) we're, we're thrust forward. They say 
20 years, but it's 60 years into the future since the events of uh, revolutions. And Neo is surprised he's back in the Matrix. <laughs> and uh, he doesn't know it yet, but he finds out that he's back in it, plugged in. And uh, so the whole purpose of it is he's a video game designer. The whole concept of the Matrix in the Matrix is actually a video game. So it shows the events of the first film with different actors. And then we have new people like Bugs and so forth. They come in and they rescue Neo and reawaken him with the red pill, blue pill and he realized with the new Matrix, he has to go back and get Trinity so they can complete their love story and hopefully recreate the Matrix once again and save it from uh, future uh, reiterations. I don't know. That's kind of my little synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It was definitely confusing to see Carrie Ann Moss and Keanu Reeves return because mm-hmm. we didn't know as to like what capacity they would still be alive technically for this film. Um, the, yeah, then, yeah. Then later on, that we find out that um, that somehow they're being used to power like this ultra version of the Matrix that's been conceived by the analyst played by Neil Patrick Harris. So, mm-hmm. I mean, at least that's how I interpreted it. Like, for all I know, they could just be plugged into the Matrix and. They're not powering anything. I don't know. It's very, uh, it's very open ended. I would say it is uh, in a in a way, yeah. Because the architect is done. Like I guess with the the analyst is the new architect. Like you said, um, Neil Patrick Harris, and he's like the guy. He plays like a therapist in the film because initially um, Neo is back as Mister Anderson, and they kind of the first half of the film. I don't know if you. Like they kind of spin it as if it's a um, was the Matrix all in his head the whole time, you know? Was it was it just a dream? Because Neo, there's like two times where he has flat quote unquote. They make it seem like it's a flashback where the new character Bugs, who's Jessica Henwick, and um, like you said, Yaha Yaha Abdul Mateen, he's Morpheus, and like Bugs awakens Morpheus to because she ends up hacking into a program, which is the game, the the Matrix, that Neo, I guess, created. Because, I don't know, man, this film, it's so, it's like, I guess, to start, Neo, when he's reinserted, right, back into the Matrix by the analyst, Neo decides to make the game, the Matrix, based on the past events that happened, and he's uncertain if the first three films actually was in his mind or reality. So he makes a game about it. Yeah, it's um he's using it's basically like a program within a program. They call it a yeah. modal in in the movie, but it's basically a way for Neo to develop characters, but in the, in the very meta sense because this film's first act is meta squared. There's so much oh, meta yeah. going on here. So like a program within a program yeah. is like hey, we're, I mean we're getting into like inception level type territories here but it's basically a way for neo to like put his experiences and his dreams into the matrix and i don't know it's almost like the matrix is correcting him it's like running through his memories and seeing like no these are just dreams that you have neo it's okay these are your past dreams and that you're you're now putting like pen to paper it's basically like a digital version of a dream journal 
Yeah, and whenever he like freaks out and he can't, in in his mind, confuses reality with his memories. Neil Patrick Harris, like he ends up appearing at his office, and then he like talks him through everything. <laughs> you know, that's 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 crazy to the uh, amount to the extent that Neil, like the analyst, had to convince Neil that he's not the one. Right? Like, imagine that. To you've done so much in your life, and then it's like, sorry, man, it was just a dream. I think the 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 world building and the setup here too. I mean, because right away the movie makes it pretty obvious that we're in the matrix because mm-hmm. um, there's this there's this blue color motif everywhere in the movie like it's there's this weird mix of blue and green at times because i think that was something that they that was done in the first set of films where they obviously they use green mm-hmm. as a color tone to the signal that we're in the matrix and then here there's a lot of blue like neil patrick harris's glasses are blue neo's taking blue pills supposedly that's his the the chemicals that he's being fed to to keep him in the matrix and then there's also this mix of green like you see it in the i think of the in the coffee bar that him and his friend are at and i love the name of it simulate yeah that was fantastic beautiful world building that's that's i would say one of my praises about this film is they really dive into the matrix lore and and uh the like what used to be zion which is i guess io <laughs> they they erase the z in the end and they really expound upon the the worlds as opposed to uh you know before especially like they've always been big about building the worlds but they it just it was another page out of that where we got to see what the new iteration of the matrix is like and i really like that um like the what were they called bots now the um like the agents used to take over the bodies of the people but now uh, as the analyst said it's more proactive to just have bots where they're already like programs that can keep people on the right course i guess if they want to leave the matrix as opposed to having to have agents run around and stop people well, there's finally like a clear delineation between like the the programs and the and the agents that are designed to like keep the people that are plugged into the matrix like on course. Like there there aren't any agents anymore. Now it's just oh everybody be, can become an agent thanks to swarm mode, which was <laughs> yeah. those were some of the more exciting sequences in the movie. But then there's also the the handler programs. We see those with. Uh, Trinity's uh, children in the Matrix, and also her husband. They're called, and also um, Neo's colleagues at his at his office. They're mm-hmm. just, they're the handler program. So then that that begs a question too. Like, is Smith, who in this movie is played by Jonathan Groff, mm-hmm. is he a handler program or is he just a handler program that happens to have the Smith code inserted in there? I think he's a handler program with the Smith code because. This agent Smith, um, he still goes back to being a wheeling and dealing, doing whatever he wants to do, um, because you know initially he tells Neo in that super meta scene, <laughs> Warner Brothers wants a you know a fourth game or fourth whatever, which it was super out of this world, like almost like looking at the camera and saying we were told to make this movie by these people, and um, it wasn't until bugs and morpheus comes to try to free neo and uh that's when i guess agent smith 
um, he ends up like Jonathan, he ends up, it's almost like he had a memory that he was Smith and he picks up the weapon and he points to that Neo and he's like, Mr. Anderson. Like I actually really enjoyed that uh, scene, but you could see it with Smith because he comes in and out. He ends up being the ex machina at the end for Smith or for uh, yeah. Neo. Yeah, definitely saves them um, as the the climax begins there. Um, but I love that Jonathan Groff isn't doing a Hugo Weaving impression. He's basically yes. he's doing like he's doing Smith 2.0, which is mm-hmm. a, a great addition. And honestly, a little disappointing that we didn't get too much Smith in this movie. There's three or four scenes that Jonathan Groff <clears throat> is in, but I really would have liked to have seen Smith become a bigger part of the movie overall like i would have liked to have seen him unplug for the matrix and really join neo and bugs but i don't know it's almost like they were trying too hard to make sure smith is still involved in a villain capacity in some way yeah i i'll uh i'll agree with you there it i really enjoyed jonathan as smith i think it was just such a fresh take um on the smith character because i think with Hugo Weaving, if he came back, I don't know how he would have played the character, you know, if he would have gone back to the same style. And with Jonathan, he, he just, he had a little, injected a little bit more personality, wasn't as rigid, some sense of style. I, I agree with you, whereas I wish that he would have come in the film a little bit more, because we only see him uh, three times. At the beginning, the middle, when the Frenchman shows up and uh, Smith and Neo square off. And then at the end, when Smith uh, comes to save Neo and um, attacks the analyst. So yeah, I think it, it would have been a little bit, it would have been nice to have him. But maybe that's just his character, you know. He's just meant to go in and out as he pleases. Well, which is what he does there. He just disappears and... I don't know, like, did he activate swarm mode or was that the the analyst who did that and forced everybody to to make a, a, a quick exit like that? I believe that was the analyst that did that. Okay. And Smith just showed up at the end and blew away the analyst, so uh, the bullet time ended up not working out, I believe, if that that's what happened. So then uh, Neo could end up getting closer to Trinity, which... That was like their thing, right? As the analyst said, if they get too close, the matrix doesn't work. It, it the, this, the energy between them is too powerful that it explodes and they both become the two or the one or whatever. <laughs> they both become Jesus again. So that's why they Neo and Trinity had to be close, but not touching, which was an interesting idea. Yeah, definitely this whole relationship between the two of them is like one cannot exist without the other. Yeah. Like Neo, they're both incomplete without each other. Um, I don't know, I just, I also feel like that bringing back Reeves and Moss uh, for this film doesn't exactly leave a lot of room to introduce new characters. Um, we There's a different version of Morpheus, but there's, there's some new characters here, obviously, mm-hmm. but we're... We're not introduced to them long enough to really get to know them or experience any kind of significant arc with them. I mean, the only one we really know is Bugs because she is the captain of the new ship that they're on. The mm-hmm. it's got a really complicated name, like the me- the Mezzanine or Nezzanine or something like that. Yeah. Um, but we don't get to know any other crew members. Like there's um, Sequoia, uh, was it Berg? 
Lexi, like those are all cool members. I mean, this looks like a pretty cool crew, but we don't get to know them that much. No, they really, um, cause we get to know bugs a lot. And then the new Morpheus, um, because she ends up getting him at the beginning and you're kind of taken on the ride with her, but they really, you're absolutely right. They focus on Reeves, Moss, bugs, Morpheus, and then, um, Naomi or Naomi. They, they bring her back with Jada or yeah, Naomi. You get to see those people, but maybe it was just like, they just ran out of time. I guess because this film is kind of long, it's, it clocks in a little bit over like two hours. It's, it's, yeah, it's almost two and a half hours long. So maybe they just ran out of time. I don't, I don't know. (laughs) There were a lot of characters though. Um, Speaking of which, with the characters, how did you, so I guess like, let's attack the thing, the beginning thing that everyone's like uh, discussing that I think is very polarizing with this film the meta nature of it, right? Because they have a whole scene at the beginning where um, not only are they showing flashbacks of the film, the original film, The Matrix, and in uh, Revolutions, but they have a scene where they talk about the development of Matrix 4, the video game, and they go into this montage with the white rabbit, uh, with the song by Jefferson, I believe, what is it? Jefferson Starship. And where all these game, quote unquote, game designers start talking about what's amazing about the Matrix. What did you think about that scene? Like the whole nature of that? I mean, that's what I uh, call the Groundhog Day sequence because it's just the same day and the same lines of dialogue repeated over and over and over again. But it's, um, I think it's just commenting on the nature of like all the analogies and metaphors that people wanted to pull out of the original film, like, um, like the Wachowskis have said like, Oh, it's an allegory for, uh, for trans uh, people and transitioning. Um, and then there's also like people in conservative circles who like take this as like a metaphor for discovering the true nature of the world and the mainstream media and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I think the film at least resurrections is making fun of all of that it's it's like saying like hey you can take from this whatever you want it's still a movie or at least in the context of those that scene it's still a game like and you're not gonna it's i don't know i'm always fascinated by people who want to pull out these very like tiny Mm -hmm. little ancillary themes or metaphors or allegories and just like oh this is what the movie's all about this is what they were going for the whole time it's like maybe they were just making a really cool movie that like had inspiration from all those but they weren't exactly setting out to make like a fire starting conservative movement where you know you know morons like ben shapiro would talk about getting (laughs) red pilled or something right i mean that that is the interesting thing about quote-unquote art right because we can take it as whatever you know however it moves us and you know some directors with movies say no this is the theme you guys completely missed it same thing with like music or paintings but that some directors are like well this is my vision or what i thought it was gonna be but it's whatever you believe it to be um which is always i don't know the ambiguity with art is always frustrating i think because as humans we always want things to have a reason right it has to mean something i mean i mean this is something we talk about all the time on this project and the 
thing we always come back to is art is subjective. It's meant mm-hmm. to be subjective. You're supposed to take whatever opinions come with it. You're not supposed to pigeonhole art and say like, oh, this is what it's about. This is what it's about. This is what it's supposed to be about. Everybody's <laughs> supposed to be on this train and agree with me that this is what it's about. Like, no. <laughs> Every single painting, every director, every musician has has never said my art is supposed to be one thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's whatever people want to get out of it. And I feel like I feel like it was smart by the Wachowskis or at least uh, by Lana Wachowski to tackle this head on and saying like, hey, the Matrix is whatever you want it to be. Yeah. It doesn't have to be um, it doesn't have to get pigeonholed into one thing or one galvanizing thing for one group of people it's supposed to be something that people from all walks of life can enjoy and that's something that is certainly hit on and but the the meta-ness doesn't stop there there's so much meta in the first act it's based the meta nature of it almost feels like it's maple syrup being poured over (laughs) a a short stack of pancakes it's i really see i i enjoyed the meta nature of it um, because I took the, particularly the IT guy, his friend that was like calling uh, Moss like a MILF and all that. Like he, he was so cringy. And like that whole round table scene where they're throwing out what the Matrix is, bullet time and all that. The, well, the repeating cycle of the phrases, I felt like that was to me like it's Neo going in and out, in and out every single day being nothing to him, you know, like how bland the matrix is. It is like a revisit of how it's, you know, churning each and every day, but he, he misses that substance, that reason in his life. But also I took it as another way as it was, uh, Lana talk, criticizing like modern films, how like these, um, like, I forget the term of it, but basically where these companies or big studios, even like movies where like even Marvel, where these think tanks where they're like, all right, well, what makes a good movie? This, 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 this. And they just like take these concepts of like bullet time, action, love story, philosophy. And they just like try to construct these core projects without actually like having the artistry in it what made them good like the original film that's why they keep going back to the original because it was so unique and it 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 was like these people that just had an idea and went with it and i think to me that's that's why i loved that medicine because the first time i saw this i was like wow what's going on Ah, this is so weird (laughs) and i don't get it but then the second time i saw it to me it was like oh maybe this is like criticism of like modern films and like how we approach them and it's like poo-pooing in a way or like saying, hey, we're going to take everything that you guys do. We're going to flip it on its head. Well, yeah, and I think there is something to to note there with, you know, think tanks like not every like not every piece of art has some sort of deeper meaning. Sometimes a movie is just a movie. Mm-hmm. And I think the idea of think tanks, you know, like Disney sh- surely has a think tank for all its Marvel movies. Oh, yeah. And. I'm sure Pixar has a thick a think tank for its animated movies. Like every movie studio has a think tank and then they just put together collections of ideas, hand it to filmmakers and say, make this movie. Yeah. And in making this film, Chris, did you think, so did you think the matrix, like this story resurrections needed to be told at all? Or do you think this was like a cash grab? I'm not sure entirely where I land on that. Like, you could certainly make an argument for both of your points. 
because when we look at how popular Keanu Reeves is sort of um it's sort of like this rediscover popularity he's had over the last five years or so. Mm-hmm. This certainly seems like a big cash grab for him because yeah. before the Matrix, he never really had like a tentpole franchise he could be a part of. I mean, he certainly had the the Bill and Ted movies, mm-hmm. but there's also to be said of you know just how popular and how well received the John Wick movies were and the opportunities that came for him afterwards. Yeah. Like they made they made another Bill and Ted movie because of how popular Keanu Reeves had become again. And now this feels more like the same of that. On the flip side of that, yeah. I feel like the Wach- uh Lana Wachowski did have a story to tell here or at least thought she did. And and I think with technology evolving the way it has in the 20 plus years that the original film has come out, I feel like that there was a good story to tell here. There, you know, there aren't landlines anymore. So you have to be creative with how your operatives get in and out of the matrix. Everybody is connected to a screen, which makes it easier for people to not question the nature of their world. There's also, you know, separate realities that people choose to live in, you know, whereas they want to buy into major conspiracy theories and totally disregard reality. Mm -hmm. So there's, I think there is a story that was that was willing to be told here definitely it's just hard it's just hard to figure that out because keanu reeves is so freaking popular right now (laughs) i know and it's and it's really tough because i um when i was researching a little bit for this film i know like since matrix um revolutions came out like warner brothers has been trying endlessly to get another film and i know initially the wachowski said no we're done we don't want this we don't want any more like the story was told matrix online is the continuation of the story and i know from uh reading that it they continued um to say no even like in 2012 when there was rumors they shot those down and initially the story didn't be, wasn't constructed until the passing of uh lana's mother father and then a friend in the same year so i think they like she wrote the story came to her one night in like a dream because she, if she like to process all the grief, if she couldn't have those people in her lives, she wanted to have Neo and Trinity. And then in turn, I guess they made this movie. And then they, the film almost wasn't released again because they were filming like February, 2020 and then the pandemic hit. And then she was like, maybe this would just be uncompleted. But people were like, no, 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 you got to finish it. So it's, it's tough, right? Because, like the first, the third one ends in such a way where it's like he sacrificed himself, they reboot. It's like so anticlimactic. So it's like they almost used this film to tie up the loose ends. I mean, you could certainly see that point, but I, the revolutions just had like this sense of permanency to it. Oh, yeah. Neo and Trinity were both dead. Yeah. By at the end of the film, they were both dead. Um, there was this new era of peace that was going to get ushered in. So me, when I see that a fourth Matrix film is announced in my head, I'm all uh, the first thing I'm thinking of is, wait, they're both dead. How are you going to do another Matrix movie when they're both dead? I know. And I know they're both dead because they made a big deal about both of them being dead. <laughs> They did. They did. And so they do end up, uh, it's like 
Neil Patrick Harris, the analyst, most of his time on screen is to just drop dialogue, like exposition, because he spends a good uh, like portion of the film. Once you find out that he's no, that he's not the therapist. He's like the robot, I guess, that was ferrying Neo's dead corpse back to be reinserted into the Matrix. He said like he had an idea, and then he repaired Neo and Trinity, and he realized the power within them. And so I guess they like they they explained a way to bring them back. But it's just, in a way, it's almost like, well, this doesn't seem... It's almost like Alien 4 vibes. Like how the third one had pretty permanent, you know? Yeah, that one, like, ended. Yeah. That like that should have been... Well, the series should have ended after the second movie, at least with that one. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I mean, listen, listen to our recent episodes on the Alien series to get our full thoughts on those. Um, but they- I don't know, but I feel like with this... with if. If they were going to go in a different direction, I feel like that this film would have been a great opportunity to introduce new characters, mm-hmm. a new story. Because um, as we said, like 60 years have passed between the end of Revolutions and this film. Yeah. So there's a lot of time to build up a new incoming conflict between the machines. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of great seeds here of that. But... There's also an argument to be made that the original series of films ended way too early. Like, I could see Resurrections kind of being retrofitted to become the second film in the series. Kind of omitting Reloaded and Revolutions and just picking the characters and new bits here and there and plopping this into Reloaded. Like, Resurrections should have been Reloaded if if the Wachowskis just didn't want to get the series over and done with. Yeah, it, and it almost feels like it, too. Because, like, for this film, you don't... They almost ignore Reloaded, totally. Because um, they really... It's a heavy reference on the first film and then the third film. But not really much of the third film. It's just more so that Neo sacrificed himself and they rebuilt their bodies. But they kind of... Yeah, it almost feels like... It's a weird... It's, a, it's weird. It's like it's a sequel and also a reboot kind of in the same like it's a it's like the same concept because you really don't need to see any of these matrix films except the first one to really get the concept of like this one well and i think that um the wachowskis learned a lot of lessons yeah after making the first two films like there's no there aren't any big exposition dumps no with big flowy language um and now I think what replaced them, and you, this is something you hit on earlier, is the idea of a lore dump. And mm-hmm. we get a pretty big one when Neo meets Niobe for the first time in the movie. Oh, yeah. They, like, fill him in on everything that happened. <laughs> I mean, they even have the scene where they go down and he, like, wonders where Morpheus is. And she explains, like, what happened with Morpheus and everything. I mean, it's a lot of exposition in this film. Yeah, it's <laughs> I mean, and you see the the the, the bots or the, the the programs that have allied themselves mm-hmm. with humans and helped them grow crops and make new machines. Yeah, um, we see this. We see a um, what do they call it? They call it a bio sky or something. Mm-hmm. So they can grow crops. They can they can like progress because before the food that they ate was just, you know, slop. But they've in 60 years, they've changed. They've um technologically improved which was kind of interesting 
Yeah, they've certainly gotten better at hiding. They don't have, I mean, their defense strategy isn't just touting out a bunch of machine gun wielding robots to <laughs> kill other robots. There is actually a defense strategy there. Um, I just thought it was very unceremonious to have Morpheus die the way he did and just kind of be like, oh, it's 60 years. He obviously died of old age, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Like, So all we get is a statue of Lawrence Fishburne and nothing else (laughs) right i think it's ah so that's like the part like morpheus good and bad it's it's so tough because having him in the film they would have had to explain so much more of like why he's there and to me having a younger morpheus or like the program version of morpheus was to me enough because it's like the program's young and it's learning itself. Whereas like having an older Morpheus running around trying to get Neo, I just don't know what he, why he would still be doing that. You know, like to me, Morpheus would be in the spot of Niobe. He would, he would be running the whole shtick. So it's like, it's part of me is like glad that they wrote him off. But at the same time, it's like, ah, because of the nostalgia factor, you know, and the fan service, it's like, ah, I want to see where he is again. But I, I really appreciated uh, Jada Pinkett. I thought she did a great job as, you know, an older version of Niobe. And she really great actor for uh, the parts, you know, like just her movements and everything. Very physical. Like she, she got the physicality of age down. So I was happy with her. Yeah, definitely great. However, like three minutes after meeting her, Neo's in prison yeah. and like, and it, it gets busted loose. Like, so what was the point of all this big <laughs> Niobe meeting lore dump that we got? If Neo is just going to be like, well, screw you, I'm leaving. Right. Because she, she, you know, because Neo threatened the existence of IO because with him, Going back to save Trinity would potentially bring the machines to IO and they would have to have a battle. So so that that to me was an interesting choice as a leader. You know, she was like, it's great to have you back, but I care about these people. And whereas before Morpheus and everyone was willing to sacrifice in like Zion to rescue you and beat the machines. But here she's like, no, I'm going to learn from the past. But at the same token, she also becomes a repeating of the past in and of herself because she was this believer and, you know, was willing to take chances. But old age also turned her into, uh, you know, what she didn't want to become. So to me, the storytelling of Niobe was pretty good. It was pretty, uh, it was on point. I like that. Yeah, definitely became a crabby pants in her old age. And then <laughs> it's left up to these very young, yeah. baby face looking people to plug Neo back into the Matrix and save Trinity. Yeah. And, like... It just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me because there's no there's no threat of a coming war. <clears throat> no. And there's no it doesn't feel like there's imminent danger other than this sub matrix that the analyst has created for for them to go in and destroy. Like I never got the sense that like, oh, we're we're freeing Neo because he is the one and there's this grand purpose. Like they just they freed Neo because they found Neo is what I was what I thought from this. That as well is what I, I got from it too. because And the movie asks that question with uh, Trinity when they're going to, uh, quote-unquote, unplug her again. Because um, Satine returns, the, the girl, the little girl in the third Matrix, she comes back and she's 
um, a program. She helps them. She concocts like it almost becomes a heist film <laughs> to get Trinity back. But she she leads them on this uh, plan to unplug Trinity. And Bugs looks at Neil and is like, hey, what you will have to deal with is if she doesn't want to become unplugged, what are you going to do? And then Neo's like, well, I'll, you know, sacrifice myself. I'm going to stay. So I like that. But at the same token, I also agree with you where it's like there is no impending doom. It's not like the analyst is like trying to ferry people. I think they're just trying to bugs and the people are just trying to awaken people again. So they could get all the humans, I guess, out of the matrix. But at the same token, it doesn't seem like the machines were like, harvesting people or anything like that either like they're hunting down the humans to kill them no there's no danger here like they just they save neo to save them and when bugs piece it together that this it's not morpheus it's morpheus 2.0 then she unplugged him from the matrix somehow (laughs) thanks to the magic of those little red pills but i don't know it's just it doesn't feel like that there's like there's that there's a true mission here that there's no real grand plan there's nothing for bugs or the crew of the mezzanine to do like they just go into the matrix and like have fun or something <laughs> like it's a you know like it's a like it's a multiplayer party or something like i don't know i don't understand the objective of them going into the matrix when it feels like there's no danger i think and that's why uh I think Niobe is so pissed off at Bugs and why she's mad at her um, for doing that because and they have that exchange where like Niobe's like no we're we're beyond this we're good and Bugs is like what you just care more about strawberries than human life because to me Bugs is the representation of hope and morality and she doesn't want the humans to be um, harvested for power by the robots and so that's why it's her mission to unlock people and and get Neo so that Neo can once again serve the purpose of saving humanity. Whereas Niobe's like, no, like we got peace. Yeah, there's humans still being harvested, but it seems like when the humans are awakened, you know, and they choose to leave the Matrix, the robots aren't like, you know, they're just letting them go. So, you know, that's why I understand Niobe's side and why she's like, we're beyond this. <laughs> but I also understand Bugs' side from the morality purpose. Yeah, it's just uh <laughs> and then on top of it, like this whole this whole love story between Neo and Trinity has to get sandwiched in between all of that. <laughs> I know. They so I do have to say, in my own personal uh opinion, I did enjoy the love story because it finally cleared it up. And it's not like it was so awful in the first three films, but I wasn't buying it. Uh, to me it felt like Anakin and Padme. So for this, to me, it was it was okay to have it as a simple concept as love conquers all. Um, so it was okay for me. Um, but I also understand the people that did not like that, too. What did you think? <laughs> Again, I just feel like it's a very unnecessary part of this movie to have to sandwich in a love story between Neo and Trinity. Like you, you make a decision one way or then uh, one way or another. Is this a a fight against impending doom or is this a love conquers all story? Right. And this this film cannot make a decision one way or another about what it wants to be. <laughs> and 
it's it's very much to the detriment of that. Like there is that scene where they plug back into the Matrix and then they're confronted by the Merovingian other exile programs as well as Smith. And then that it's a great fight scene that ensues, but it totally distracts us from why they originally jacked in in the first place. Yeah. And so actually that was my uh, lens flare, uh, the Merovingian, him coming back, because I don't think the scene was needed. I get why it was in there, um, because it's the Matrix. You got to have action. And you know, okay, so maybe the Merovingian is still around, but like his exposition, like he he's still Chris, he's still spouting out dialogue, long speeches. He's still the Merovingian cannot do anything else than just stare directly into the camera and spout out dialogue. Well, I was wondering where his wife was yeah. during that sequence. It's like maybe she got tired of his long flowy speeches and just deleted herself. Yeah, so that was so that was my thing. I thought because, so I was confused a little bit, and then I got it the second time. Because at the end of that big fight scene where, you know, Smith and Neo fight, and the Merovingian's there with the bots, um, Bugs is like, oh, we're going to get her, or you have to see her. And then Neo's like, I have to see her or something. I thought that meant, like, the Merovingian's wife or something. I don't know. But then I guess they were referencing Trinity or something like that. So that was, I know, I, I guess maybe she got deleted, you know, with the new program. I mean, it had to have been, and and now the Merovingian has become what he always feared he would be. I mean, he's a he's an exile program, with mm-hmm. no purpose, and also nowhere to go. <laughs> but I think it's only a matter of time before he's found out if the analyst properly does his job and and does that purge. Because now, I mean, along with that purge, there's no, like you said, there's no architect, there's no oracle. It's a it's a perfect system mm-hmm. that the analyst has created. Yeah, it's a per as he said, it's a, it's a perfect system. It's and so I thought that was kind of interesting with the Matrix, like you know how every iteration is different. What did you think of? Uh, no, I don't know if you caught this, but so the dude that played Trinity's husband, Chad, I guess Chad Stahelski is actually um, Keanu Reeves's stunt double. And the director of John Wick movies. Yeah, he's directed. Let's see, he's um, yeah. So far, he's directed all of his John Wick movies. Um, supposedly, he's also working on an adaptation of a uh, Ghost of Tsushima. Okay. Uh, film based off of the the great uh, PlayStation game, but uh, there's uh, but yeah, there's no. Uh, it's a, it's sort of one of those things. Like unless you know what he looks like, you're not going to recognize that that's Chad Stahelski, right? Obviously, his uh, he's got I mean a great legacy uh, resume of stunt work, mm-hmm. but as far as I know, this just feels like hey, um, Chad, you're one of my best friends. You want to be in a movie? <laughs> like that's kind of what this feels like. Right? The, the the movie is so meta that they're like, we're gonna put Keanu Reeves' stunt double as the uh, program that is blocking him from Trinity. <laughs> the only thing that stops him is himself. I mean, it makes sense in a in a meta in a meta way, as you were intimating there. But <laughs> just oh man, the meta ness knows no end in this movie. It really doesn't. It is. It's very just like really in your face. I think um, they're they're really using this movie as at least in my opinion as a crit- as a critique, and. I don't know, you know, it's maybe it's because the Warner Brothers offered them a bunch of money or like 
they're like, we're going to do this with or without you. I don't know. But it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's just, I don't know. I can see why people are very divided, you know, with the feedback of it. Because I believe this film has like a 60-something percent on like Rotten Tomato. It's like a 65, like IMDb is like a 5.6, Metacritic, you know, it's like um, 6.2, <laughs> you know, 64 out of 100. So it's like, it's very like you either love it or hate it. And it's equal on both sides. Yeah, it's definitely sticking with the middle of the road in terms of um, the critical response. Um, I don't know. I don't. I, I'm not getting the sense that people are hating this movie, but I'm also not getting the sense that people are loving it either. Like it's very much just like, yeah, okay, it's a movie. It's enjoyable. It's better than other uh, entries in this series, but it definitely lacks a sort of beloved. Uh, deep analysis and embracement that the first film received. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's because of the lack of like philosophy. Like the, it, it doesn't have too much philosophical concepts that they explore. It just really, it's, it's more like a love story, (laughs) a meta, a really meta love story. And with it not being necessarily needed, it's kind of like, well, I mean, it's cool. (laughs) It's almost like fan fiction. Yeah, it's certainly it, it it certainly treads on familiar ground mm-hmm. and it doesn't offer anything new. And I think that's where people are sort of dinging it a little bit, because while we while there are people who make the argument that there is a story to tell, like we were talking about earlier, this again just feels like a quick cash grab to capitalize on Keanu Reeves's resurgent popularity. Sure, sure. Did anything um, strike you as like a lens flare? Because I, I don't believe I had a red shirt. Because I don't think anyone died in this. Except the bots that were like no. falling out from the sky. No, nobody really dies. And it's kind of annoying because it really lowers the stakes as well. Because it looks like for sure that the, the crew of the, the, the Nezamine... I'm, I'm never going to figure out how to say that <laughs> name. Um, it looked like they were all going to die in the climax uh, with, the, with swarm mode there. But I, I would have to say... My lens flare is the look of some of those those bots that show up in the real in the real world. Because at least there's the one that saves Neo, unplugs him from the Matrix. That looks like a big cat, <laughs> and I was laughing at that. And then there is another one that shows up. I think it's supposed to be the embodiment of Satie yeah. that shows up with Niobe. And I'm just looking at it, and I start laughing <laughs> because all it does is remind me of Toothless from How to Train Your Dragon. Oh, that's funny. Like I can't. I can't buy into this. This looks completely ridiculous. Because Satine was the robot that looked the robot that looked like the bird or something, right? Yeah, it looked like this weird butterfly bird long tail thing, but the head, the head of it, it looked like that that cute little <laughs> dragon from the How to Train Your Dragon movies. This is exactly what it looked like to me. I'm like, I can't buy into this. This is stupid. It's it makes me so when I saw those things, I was like the robots i was like is it meant to sell toys or is it the robots like because they're a program and i do appreciate that um in this with the new tech right that the programs like as experienced in the third film they they can love and they can do this so this one expounds upon that where it's like now the programs can choose for themselves if they want to align with the robots and join the humans and they can create their own 
manifestations of what they believe they are and they look like. But at the same time, it's like, oh, there's this like bird-like thing flying around. <laughs> it was, they really went on in with that. So, But it's like, eh, who knows? For me, at least. I was like, eh, okay, cool, I guess. It was weird. The jacking out of uh, Trinity. Did that make sense to you why Bugs like was connected in? Nope, absolutely not. I had no, I could not make heads or tails of how any of that worked. Yeah. And up to that point, I was able to follow along pretty well with this movie. Yeah. But right until they got there, like I could not, for the life of me, figure out how they were going to try and unplug Trinity and plug in someone else temporarily. I could not figure that out. I didn't get it either. Maybe, it was, yeah, like, was it like... I don't know. I was like, okay, why don't they just offer the pill? But then it was like, oh, well, maybe they're just doing that to make it seem like they're not jet, like pulling her out so then they have time to escape. And I think maybe that's like what they did, but it was just really weird. <laughs> it was interesting, but yeah, this movie is not a perfect movie in any regards. No, it, it certainly isn't. Um, I mean, it, it isn't doing too well in the box office from what I saw either. Um at, the, at least at the time that we're recording this, it's only grossed $106 million against a $190 million budget. So yeah. um, likely this could be the thing that ultimately kills this franchise. Uh, yeah, I was wrong. When we initially recorded, I thought it was going to smoke at the box office, but it's not. You're absolutely right. And I think uh, Keanu Reeves initially, they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to make a fifth one. But now he's like, no. <laughs> I don't think we're making a fifth film. But it's like, how can you? They end this film with, like, the analyst is like, okay, do whatever you want. There's always going to be the sheeple that stay in the Matrix because they don't want the reality. And, and like, Trinity and Neo are, like, flying around like Jesus. So, I mean, it's like, I don't know where they could go with this. You know? Like, I guess they could focus, like, solely like a tv series where it's just like one person realizing the matrix is real or not but i don't know where they could go i think the wachowski shouldn't have been in such a rush to end the series as early as they did in 2003 i think they should have tried to spread out these stories you know take some time to took some time to develop a second film a third film fourth film fifth film mm -hmm. instead of having to do this where you're now having to retcon events of past films and shoehorn a resurrection of beloved characters because now you have a story to finally tell and a studio is pressuring you to do it. So it's just, uh, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating to, 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 after 18 years, this is the movie that we get. I'm going to agree with you. And that, I think, was our initial criticism before that they should have taken time between the second and third film. They really should have waited because you can, you can just feel it. You know, it almost feels like star Wars, the rise of Skywalker with like the retconning of events because it's like, <laughs> but I don't, but at the same token, I don't, they didn't want to do this. Like the Wachowskis said for like 16, 17 years, they did not want to make this movie. They were done. So, I think they just capitalized on Lana when she was going through a really traumatic event and they're like, here's money. <laughs> and she was like, fine, whatever. Sure. Fine. I'll make another one. What the hell? <laughs> it's big now. So Keanu's huge. Let's just make another film and get it done with. Yeah. It's, uh, uh it's, 
frustrating and yet sometimes it's entertaining it's yeah it, there's this weird oscillation going on here but i think uh but i think uh, i don't know is this a good point to uh review and rate our rate this movie overall yeah i would i would say so yeah give it a shot because you yeah i think so yeah give it a shot what would you so with our unique scale uh because it's still in theaters i guess we could do a uh wouldn't watch a uh would go and see when it comes out you'd own it or uh i guess once it's owned you know once it's out would host a viewing party chris you know yeah go for it yeah i as i as i mentioned i think after 18 years this isn't the matrix film that we should have gotten i think keanu reeves just seems to be sleepwalking most of the time and nobody's gonna accuse keanu reeves of being like this great thespian actor worthy of oscars but he's still he's still a movie star he's entertaining to watch um carrie ann moss isn't around uh much in this film other than to just be the object of neo's desire and we don't get to know everyone else in this movie there are a lot of interesting characters that are introduced and yet we don't get to spend time with them i think the film has some nice meta moments but there's just two many of them were being beaten over the head with so many meta moments and it gets frustrating sometimes and the visual effects which i think we've come to expect with this series um they're subpar compared to other entries but i do appreciate that it is easier to follow along with than other films especially the second and third films but it's not enough to really save this and i feel like this is at the end of the day an unnecessary story so I'm going to call this a would not watch. Oh, okay. Too easy. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Sean? Um, so with this movie, I had zero expectations going in. Um, I saw it twice to really get a handle on it. And overall, um, I'm going to agree. I don't think that this film was necessary. For the continuation of the story of Neo, um, while the third was anticlimactic, it does feel like it's the end. However, I did thoroughly enjoy this movie a lot, despite the weak reasons for why <laughs> things are happening, you know, out of morality. Um, to me, it, as a fan of this series, the fan service of like having diving a little bit deeper into the love relationship of Neo and Trinity was good, at least patching that up for me. Um, there were some great moments with Neo, like it fan servicey where you see the pill and he's like, Oh hell no, you know, or, and, um, seeing like him adjust the reality of being unplugged again and everything to me, it was, it was fairly, it was entertaining. And I did enjoy the simplicity of the story once we realized that he's out and they just have to save Trinity. Loved the meta moments. I enjoyed the crit the critique of it. Um, it's just, if I was going to redo this film, I think the only way that they could have maybe made it better was if they went all in on the ambiguity of it. And instead of revealing that Neo was... Um, still plugged in the machine if they just made it ambiguous that he he may still be in the machine or maybe not maybe he this whole thing the whole matrix series was just in his mind i think that would have maybe made the film better because then it would have had this whole what if 
attached to it. So we never would have really known. So I think for what we got is what we got. I would rate this as a would host a viewing party. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the simple fight scenes. Loved Smith. Loved the stripped down everything. Um, it was really cool to see the uh, how they expounded upon all the details and everything. But I totally understand why you didn't enjoy it and why other people would. So I would host a viewing party, actually, for this film. Wow. First time we've been uh, <laughs> we've been on opposite ends of the spectrum in a long time here. <laughs> I know. I totally get where you're coming from, though. Because <laughs> I'm sure with our next couple films, who knows? But we'll see. Um, but definitely, yeah, that's how I felt. I, I do wish, though, that they would have made it more ambiguous. I think it would have changed. It would have saved the film. Yeah. It might have helped, but we'll never know. We'll now. never I mean, know. <laughs> We probably won't get a fifth film, and I think this uh, this is the nail in the coffin of the Fran- of the Matrix series. I'm going to agree with you, and I don't think philosophy courses are going to be talking about this movie like they do classes on the first three, and that's okay. You know, it's a it's a reboot, remake, sequel thing, and it kind of works. So, oh well. <laughs> so, Chris, what is next on our agenda now that we are done with the Matrix suite? Uh, we're going to get back into our regularly scheduled programming and we've given major Samantha another little break, but we're, we're bringing her back. We're going to pick another movie from our, uh, now famous list of 117 films. And from that list, she has selected number 74. It is a film from 2014 directed by Bong Joon-ho and starring Chris Evans, it is Snowpiercer. Oh, rock on. I'm pumped. I saw this in theaters when it came out. Fantastic. Good, good, good. Let's do this. Never seen it because I was saving it to watch it for this podcast, and now I have a reason to watch it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sweet. Oh, well, thanks, man. Uh, this was fun, my good sir. It is always a pleasure reviewing movies with you. Uh, likewise, love talking about the Matrix films, even though uh, some of them were disappointing. But <laughs> now it is now on the record what we think about the Matrix movies. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, my good sir, it has always been a pleasure. I cannot wait to review Snowpiercer. Until next time, take us out, my good sir. All right. If y'all enjoyed today's episode, please, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It really helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. You can also now leave a review on Spotify. That will help us out immensely. Um, You can check out and download episodes from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts. And go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com, for show notes and links to all of the social media. And so for all of us at the Forcefed Sci-Fi team, we will see you next time. 